Welcome to the Rocky Valley Podcast. This is Pastor Jason Moe. We're glad you stopped in to have a listen, and we hope that this blesses you in some way. If you would turn in your Bibles to chapter 2 of the book of Joshua. Chapter 2 of the book of Joshua. If you don't know where Joshua is, find Deuteronomy. It's sort of after that. It's in the Old Testament, by the way. And please stand when you find the book of Joshua, chapter 2, as we honor the reading of the holy, infallible, and errant word of God. Now this morning we will be preaching through the entire second chapter of the book of Joshua, but for the sake of time we're going to read verses 1, 4, 12, 18, and 19 aloud together. So beginning in verse 1. Now Joshua the son of Nun sent out two men from Acacia Grove to spy secretly, saying, Go and view the land, especially Jericho. And so they went and came to the house of a harlot named Rahab and lodged there. Verse 4. And then the woman took the two men and hid them. So she said, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. Skipping down to verse 12. Now therefore, I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness, that you also will show kindness to my father's house and give me a true token. And then verses 18 and 19. Unless when we come into the land you bind this line of scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. Unless you bring your father, your mother, your brothers, and all your father's household to your own home, so it shall be that whoever goes outside the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we will be guiltless. And whoever is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. If a hand is laid on him, let us pray. Father God, We ask now that you would do what only you can do, and that is dwell among your people. Lord, you bind any spirit, any demon, any thought from this place that doesn't belong to you, God. You bind it from us right now, Lord Jesus. God, you have your way and your will with this service, and we will be faithful to give you the praise and the honor and the glory that you deserve, Lord Jesus. It's in your precious name that we pray, and all God's people said, and you may be seated. Now this morning as we look at the life of a woman named Rahab, Rahab the harlot is how she is known. And we could easily get lost in the story of Joshua, in the story of Rahab, in the story of the two spies, in the story of that famous city of Jericho. We could get lost in all of the details of chapter 2 if we weren't careful, but I want us to focus this morning our attention on some things, and I don't want us to miss the theme of this whole chapter. It's not about Jericho. It's not really about Rahab the harlot. It's certainly not about the spies. It's not about Joshua. It's not about the Israelite conquest of the Canaan land. It's not about crossing over Jordan. The theme of chapter 2 is the theme as the same as the theme of the entire Bible from Genesis through Revelation, and it is the scarlet thread representing the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the preeminent theme of every single verse, of every single chapter, of every jot, of every tittle, of every word found in our holy and infallible and inerrant word from Genesis 1 when God created the heavens and earth through the book of Revelation when he comes again. It's all about Jesus Christ, and chapter 2 of this great book is no different. That same scarlet thread weaves its way throughout history. It weaves its way throughout the Bible. And it is still 
the way in which redemption is provided in this very day to any of those who would call upon his name and cry out and be covered by that scarlet crimson thread of Jesus Christ. As we look deeper (coughs) into this second chapter, I want us to first look at the desperation that we see in Jericho. The desperation that we see in Jericho. This will be the first seven verses. The desperation we see in Jericho. The tick-tock of the life clock of Sister Rahab and of the people in Jericho is clicking away. And at the time we begin this chapter, Miss Rahab has no idea just how close to destruction that she is. She has no idea just how close to her deathbed that she is as she finds herself here with the spies coming into your home. The town of Jericho has no idea just how desperate their situation is, how, how imminent that their destruction is. There is a desperation that is displayed in Jericho, and we see it kind of in the carnal profession <coughs> Excuse me, that Rahab is, is described with. Now, many scholars would debate as to whether or not Rahab was still a harlot professionally, or if this was a name from a younger life and a previous employment. But either way, her life is so stained by her sin that her immorality has become her identity. Look at how she's introduced. It says, they go view the land, especially in Jericho. So they went and came to the house of a harlot named Rahab. (coughs) A harlot named Rahab. She doesn't even have a proper name introduction without a, without a sinful identity attached to it. Her sin was so bad that that was how she was described. And you know, as we sit in our pews, and I know that all of you here are more holy than I am, and we're all certainly more holy than Rahab the harlot, aren't we? But I want to remind you this morning as we go through this story that Rahab's story, it's my story. Rahab's story is your story. Let's not get too sanctimonious as we look down on Rahab because of the life that she had lived because our stories are not that much different. You know, we may not have Rahab the harlot in the house this morning, but we may very well have Joe the thief sitting somewhere. We may very well have Larry the drunk. We may very well have Jenna the liar. We may have Nadine the gossip. We may have Joan the deceiver. We may have Bill with his unfair business practices. We may have Robin who who beat his wife. We may have any number of sinful people sitting in this congregation this morning. And, And just because it's not Rahab the harlot doesn't mean that we get to turn our nose down and pretend as if our sin is not as bad as her sin. We don't get to pretend because we're not identified as Jason, the sinner, I'm identified as as Jason Maul, the the child of God. My story is not any different than Rahab's. The identity that I deserve, the identity that I deserve is my sin. That's what I earned. Jason, the hell-bound sinner, but for the grace of God, I have a new identity. And that's what I want us to look at as we look at Rahab. You see, somewhere in this house this morning is somebody who's entangled in the snares of premarital sex. There's somebody who's entangled in the snares of lying to their spouse. Somebody who's caught up in the sin of pornography. Somebody who's caught up in if at, 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 at the very least you've separated yourself from the will of God from your life and you're not being obedient. 
All of those things are separations from God. Just as egregious as Rahab the harlot. And so as we think about kind of the carnality of a profession, I want us to also think about how condemned that this land of Jericho was. She was a sinful woman living among a condemned people, but like I said a minute ago, she doesn't even fully understand just how condemned she is. Now we have the benefit of the rest of the story, so to say. We have the benefit of knowing that Jericho is going to be taken by Israel. You'll remember the story. Remember the famous song, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho and the walls came tumbling down. I preached a message once that said, Jesus fought the battle of Jericho for, jo- for Joshua, but nonetheless the walls came tumbling down. That's the city where Rahab finds herself at this time. She is condemned. Things are coming. And she doesn't realize just how close it is. If we look at the first six chapters of the book of Joshua... And we do our math very carefully. I think we will determine that on this very day that we are talking about right now, Rahab the harlot, if something doesn't intervene in her life, if something doesn't change in her life, she is living in what is her final month on this earth. If something doesn't change in her path. Probably about three weeks and three days from this time is when Jericho is going to be overthrown. Listen to me really close this morning, friends. Somebody here is living their life knowing that you're not being obedient to God's call on your life. Someone here is living knowing that you've never really given your life to Jesus Christ. Someone here is living in a state of doubt wondering if you've really ever given your life to Jesus Christ. And my friends, let me just tell you this. Just like Rahab was in this day, you have no idea how close to the end you may be. You have no idea... Just how desperate your situation may be. Do not let the dawn of another day, another service close, another time come to the end where you sit and wonder where you are are with the Savior Jesus with an opportunity to give your life to Him. Because just like Rahab sat there on this day, like any other day of her life, she is sitting some few weeks away from her ultimate death. And you have no idea how long Jesus will tarry. You have no idea... How many more breaths you have? Let me tell you what happens. In Joshua chapter 6 verse 21, if you were to flip over, you would see that in Joshua 6 21, it says that they utterly destroyed Jericho. That's what's coming. That's just three and a half weeks away from this day. Utterly destroyed it. They, they killed the women. They killed everybody. All the inhabitants of Jericho were utterly destroyed when the Israelites came in. Except verse 22 says, Rahab the harlot and her family because of the scarlet thread that was hanging out of her window. And let me remind you of one thing before we move on from this part. In chapter 2, when the spies come into Jericho, every person in Jericho has the same opportunity that Rahab has. Every single person person sitting in Jericho heard the same message. They heard the same message. But rather than bow down, they tried to kill those who were key to their hope of salvation. 
rather than recognize that these two messengers were sent by God, rather than realize that these two messengers were their hope, rather than realize that these two messengers were the very ones whom they should grab the coattails and make a plea to the God of Joshua and the God of Israel, they tried to kill them because they did not like what they had to say. They did not like who they were. And in chapter 6, verse 21, all except for Rahab the harlot were utterly, completely, and totally destroyed, having had the same opportunity that she had But thank God, verse 22, says that she grabbed hold of that crimson thread. She grabbed hold of that last thread of hope. And let me remind you, in case you're sitting here thinking, but I'm not Rahab the harlot. I'm not that bad. The Bible says that our righteousness is like filthy rags. Our righteousness is like filthy rags. Not our sins, but our good stuff. Not not you when you got road rage, but you when you're feeding the hungry. Your righteousness is still like filthy rags. Not you on your best day. Excuse me, not you on your worst day, but you on your best day. You're still... As sinful as Rahab the harlot. On your best day, your righteousness is like filthy rags. Apart from Jesus, you're doomed and desperate, just like Rahab was. But I want you to look at something with me. First, we see the desperation that she had in Jericho. But let's look at the declarations that she made about Jehovah. Now, for some reason... Despite the fact that everybody in Jericho heard the same message, for some reason Rahab the harlot responded differently than everybody else did. And she started to recognize some things about this God of Israel. She started to recognize some things about the sovereignty and the holiness of this God of the people of Israel. Let's look at verses 8 through 13 together. Let's start in verse 8. It says, Now before they lay down, she come up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly (coughs) destroyed. You see, Rahab began to recognize about this God of Israel that he was a powerful God of wrath. She began to recognize that he went ahead of his children and that he utterly destroyed the things that stood between them and the land that he had promised to them. And that he was a God of wrath on all of those who were unbelieving. He was a God of wrath upon all of those who did not fall under the children of God. She says, I heard what you did to those Amorite kings. I heard what happened to the the waters of the Red Sea. Excuse me, I'm so sorry this morning. I heard what happened to all of those who stood in your way, all of those who are sinful and stand between the people of God and the will of God. I've heard what happens to them and I realize that this God is a God of wrath. And I think Rahab there recognizes something that we, my friends, would do well to recognize in our American church today. 
that God is going to pour out his wrath on all unrighteousness. That doesn't mean that God is going to pour out his wrath on somebody else's unrighteousness. It doesn't mean that God is going to pour out his wrath on the Muslim unrighteousness. It means that the wrath of God has to be satisfied against all unrighteousness. Rahab recognized this and responded because she realized that God was a holy God. Now let me just tell you, I would be remiss if I didn't tell you how thankful I was for the compassionate, patient love and mercy and grace of a precious Savior that saved my soul. I thank God for His love and His mercy every single day, but I would be remiss if I did not also preach that His wrath is very real. In Ephesians 5, Paul writes that because of our acts of immorality and wickedness, the wrath of God is coming to the sins of the sons of the disobedience. And we better not lose sight of that fact that the wrath of God must be fulfilled. Because if the wrath of God is not poured out upon all sin, then God is not a just and holy God. Because he says he can't be present with sin. He says that sin must be punished. And if he chooses not to punish our sin, then he's not a holy and just God. But she not only recognizes that he's a God of wrath, in verse 11, she says that, that he is the God in heaven above and in earth beneath. She's acknowledging that, that he is the one true God. And my friends, what I want you to realize is that, that she says he's a God full of power. He's the one true God. He is the God. And you say, well, I, I get it. That's what you said, preacher. Why does that matter? Well, it matters because keep in mind where Rahab the harlot is living. She's living in Jericho. It's a land of, of Canaan. It was a land where they worshipped many gods. They were a polytheistic society. So she had been raised up, like many people are raised up today, to believe in whatever she wanted to believe in. She was raised up to believe in the God of the sun, of the God of the rain, of the God of the moon, of the God of the plant, of the God of the love, of the God of the happiness, of the God of the statue, of the God of the robe, of the God of whatever she wanted to believe in. If you want to believe in it, go ahead and believe in it and be happy with yourself. That's what she'd been taught. So for Rahab to have been raised up in this fashion to turn around and say, I believe that your God, the God of Israel, is the God, the one true God in heaven and on earth. That's a big deal. It's a recognition for Rahab of a great magnitude. She says he's, he's got the, the power to deliver us. He's got the power to dry up the waters and part them and crash them back down on the Egyptian. And knowing his power and knowing that his wrath was coming and understanding that Jericho was about to be overthrown, Rahab pleads out to the only thing that she has to, to, to reach out to. And she reaches out to the God of mercy. In verse 12 she says, If I show you this kindness, I beg of you, if I show you kindness and I hide you today, would you please look favorable upon me later? I don't deserve it. I'm a child of Jericho. And I deserve to be taken when the rest of the city is taken. But please, if I show you some kindness, if I reach out to you now, if I recognize you now, will you show me mercy 
later. And friends, you and I should find ourselves consistently where Rahab was, saying, I don't deserve it, God. I don't deserve it because of my sin and because of the life that I've lived, because of the place where I live, because of the things that I do, the things that I haven't done, I don't deserve it. But would you have mercy on me, God? Would you have grace for me, God? I think that as we look at Rahab the harlot and the way she lived her life and we see that she cries out for mercy, we see a great description of something that Paul would later write about. It says, where sin did much abound, grace does much more abound. I think that's the story of Rahab's life. A life of sin, a life of shame, a life of scorn. And yet where sin did abound, grace abounded so much more. To sum up what I think Rahab recognized about the all-powerful God of heaven are some things that we would do well to recognize today and not forget. That God's wrath will be poured out upon sin and that we are subject to that wrath because of our sin. But he is a God of mercy that will forgive us our sins if we only reach out to him. My friends, there's not a better description of the gospel of Jesus Christ that could ever be preached than that right there. God is a God of wrath. His wrath must be poured out upon sin. We are a sinful people, and we need Jesus to be forgiven. And so we've seen the desperation in Jericho. We've seen that Rahab was a sin-sick woman for sure, and we have seen uh, what she declares about Jehovah God. But lastly, I want us to look at the remainder of this chapter, at the demonstration of Jesus that we see. The demonstration of Jesus that we see. I told you when we started, and any of you who have heard me preach for any amount of time know that I go to, to, to great efforts to make sure that whatever chapter, whatever book, whatever verse is being preached, that Jesus is pointed out as the preeminent Holy One that is being reflected. Whether that be from Genesis 1, Leviticus 4, or 1 John 5, it's all about Jesus Christ if you just look to what the Bible is. And this chapter is perhaps a great picture of Jesus Christ and his saving grace. And so let's look at that shadow of Jesus that we see in the redemption of Rahab the harlot. And the first thing I want us to look at is the rope. I want us to just look at the rope that we see in her, in her life for just a second. And she says, deal kindly with me. And in exchange for that, in exchange for my kindness with you, deal kindly with me. And they say to her, you leave this scarlet thread, this rope that we've bound. You, you leave it hanging outside of your window. And we'll, we'll not deal unfavorably in this house. You leave that scarlet rope hanging out of this window where we can recognize this scarlet thread coming out. That, that, that this has been put on top of your house. That you've been covered by this scarlet thread. And we, we won't deal unfavorably with anybody inside the house. Get your father and your brother, get them inside your house. And this house will be covered. But if they go outside of it, they're on their own to deal with God. 
But if they'll be in here under this threat of scarlet, they're safe. And it begs me the question. Why didn't they just write down her address? Didn't they have that capability? They were spies being sent into Jericho. Couldn't they have just went back to the camp and said, Hey guys, fifth house on the left, leave them alone. Sixth house on the right, don't kill her, she was nice to us. Don't you think that the Israelite army and all their intelligence were quite capable of instructions such as that? I believe the picture that we see here is so much more beautiful than that simple conversation. Because essentially Rahab is asking here to be saved. It's a picture of a sinner asking to be spared by God. Asking to be saved. And I believe these young men, these spies do exactly what you ought to do when someone asks you and tells you that they want to be saved. They tell them how. She said, I want to be saved. And because they've been saved, they say, let me tell you what happened to me. If you've been saved in the house this morning, if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you possess the knowledge and the ability to tell someone else how they too can be saved. You know how you do that? You tell them how you did it. Because there is only one way that people pass from death unto life. And that's by crying out to Jesus. That's it. There's only one way to get to heaven. And if somebody says they want to be saved, you have the knowledge inside of you, if you've been saved, to say, I don't really know all of the Bible. I don't understand the Roman road. I can't quote you Genesis through 1 John. But what I do know is what happened to me. Let me tell you about that. Then we'll go find somebody to help explain the rest of that stuff. But let me tell you how I got saved. And I believe that that's what these young men did. These old boys here, she says, I want to be saved. And they say, well, let me tell you what happened to us. Or what happened, maybe, maybe they're young men and they were born in the wilderness. Maybe they said, let me tell you what my, my parents told me. Let me tell you what Brother Joshua or Brother Moses told me. You see, when our city was about to be ransacked by the death angel back in Egypt... We'd been slaves for a long time. 400 years, Rahab, we were slaves. And when the death angel was coming to send a message to the Pharaoh so that we would be set free, he said, only those who have the scarlet thread above their doorposts, only those who have the blood of the Lamb that is a picture of the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ, only those with that blood over their doorstep, only those houses will be spared. So I don't know all the intricacies of how to be saved, Rahab, but the best thing I know to do right now is you take this scarlet thread and you mark your house with that. And when we come into town, we'll pass over the house that's covered with the thread of scarlet. You want to be saved? You need to put the blood of the lamb above your doorpost, Rahab. Now, I don't know about the rest of you. I don't know. If I'm the only one here this morning, if I am, that's okay with me. But when I think that all the way back in a town called Jericho with a harlot named Rahab, that God could weave such a beautiful picture of Jesus Christ into this story of the Bible, it moves me somewhere way down deep inside. As I realize just 
how magnificent and holy that my God is that he weaved the experiences of the Israelites so that I could see Jesus in the Old Testament. So that I could realize that from the beginning, from the very beginning of time, Jesus Christ was the method by which we are saved. Even before he came, born of a virgin, the picture of his blood has always been the way that people get saved. But look, look at something else with me. Now, I don't know for sure if Rahab was practicing harlotry at the beginning of the chapter or not. I have no idea. Scholars continue to argue about it. And I just don't care if she was still a harlot when it started. But what I do care about is I absolutely positively know that by the time it ended, she wasn't. She was no longer Rahab the prostitute. So how do you know that, brother? Well, as you read through the book and you see what she did, you see that she began to walk among the people of God. If you look over in Joshua chapter 6, you'll see that she lived the rest of her days among the people of God. She no longer lived among the old life that she had lived. If you look at the book of James, you see that she was justified. You see that when she cried out to the God of mercy for salvation, that she was saved. And she lived her life the rest of her days working for God. She's listed in the Hebrews roll call of the faithful because from the day she cried out for salvation, she was saved. And her life and her family's life was never the same as it was before. You see, I don't know who she was at the beginning of chapter 2. But I know that her identity was Rahab the harlot. But friends, I know that by the end, her new name was Rahab the redeemed. She became Rahab the redeemed. Somewhere in this house, somebody walked in here carrying a burden of shame. Carrying the burden of their sin. Whatever it may be. Came in and your identity of yourself... Is based on your failures and your shortcomings. But friends, you don't have to walk out with that same identity. You don't have to walk out with that same place in your life. You can walk out redeemed. You can end this differently and your entire household can be changed as a result. She was redeemed fully by the grace of God. I'm going to turn over to Matthew chapter 1. And this is where we're going to close up shop this morning. If you have your Bibles and you want to, you can flip over there. If you don't, it won't be but a few verses. I'm sorry, Miss Loretta, I forgot to give these to you. Matthew chapter 1. You see, she's fully redeemed. Rahab is fully redeemed by the grace of God. Keep in mind, she had used her body for who knows what and who knows how often, selling herself to the highest bidder. It had been used for immorality for how many years, we do not know. But when God saves Rahab, he redeems every part of her body. And he would use her life to usher in the messianic line of Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 1 says, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, son of David, son of Abraham. 
Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begot Jacob, Jacob begot Judah and his brothers, Judah begot Perez and Zerah by Tamar, Perez begot Hezron and Hezron begot Ram, Ram begot Amenadab, Amenadab begot Nashon, Nashon begot Salmon. Look at verse 5. Salmon begot Boaz. By who? Say that for me again. Salmon begot Boaz by, by Rahab. You skip down one verse. Jesse begot David, the king. King David came just a few generations after Rahab the harlot had been redeemed by the grace of God. He redeemed her entire body and he used her to usher in King David. If you skip down to verse 16 with me. And Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. My friends, God can draw a straight line with a crooked stick. The history of Rahab, the harlot, is no longer defined by what happened before she met Jesus. It's defined by what happened after she encountered Jehovah God. He took the sinner who was not just a sinner, she was literally a professional sinner. She made her living in sin. But in one moment encountering God, God said, no more. You're going to be the great, 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 great grandmother of Jesus Christ. If that ain't grace, my friends, if that ain't mercy, if that ain't God, I don't know what it is. And maybe you're here this morning, shackled by a heavy load. You came in this morning carrying the burden and the guilt and the shame and the despair of your sin. And you said, I cannot give it to God and God cannot fix it. I'm too bad. I've done too much. I'm too far gone. My friends, God can use a prostitute to usher in a Savior. Give it to Him this morning. Maybe you're here and you've never been saved. You've never given your life to Jesus. Would you grab onto that scarlet thread this morning? That last thread of hope for your life. Maybe you're here. And you're just disobedient. God's got a call on your life. And you've been running from it as hard as you can. You don't want to give it over to him. You're afraid that you're not capable. You're afraid you don't know how. My friends, God can usher in Jesus Christ through a prostitute. He can use you. Lay it down at his feet and let him use you this morning. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much. God, I thank you so much that like Rahab, you didn't give up on me, God. God, so many times, if I had just gotten what I deserved, you'd have left me alone. But God, your mercy and your love and your grace, you reached down. You said your past does not have to define your future, young man. And you saved me, God. 
God, I am acutely aware that in a room this size with this number of people, Lord, there are people that are shackled by the load of their sin and shame. God, would you convict them to lay that burden at your feet? Show them your mercy and your grace, Lord God. Give them the courage to lay their sin down and rise up a new creation, Lord God. No longer carrying that baggage. And God, if there be just one here this morning who's never cried out, Jesus, save me. Would you bear down upon them and do what only you can do, and that is bring a soul from death to life this morning. And it is in your precious, saving, redeeming name that we pray, Jesus. Amen. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day.